For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into a, an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding, Expanding reality. reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this incredibly cool episode, Wally Wagner Jr. joins us. Now, he is the author of two books, as well as the recipient of a UFO sighting in 2016, which is absolutely fascinating. Now, all the ways to find him, of course, his website and his books as well, will be located down in the show notes. On this one, guys, we go from everything from the freedom of religion, from the truths not found in the Bible, uh, to UFO talk and contact and disclosure and what that looks like. It's it, Wally is a fascinating dude. We hit it off right away. This is a brother that I'm talking to here and nothing less. And it's absolutely fascinating. So all the ways, of course, again, guys, to find him located in the show notes, all the ways to find us, how to support the mission, value for value system, our new website, the handbook, our book that we published over here, all of that located down in the show notes. Check that out as well. But in the meantime, and without any further ado, let's get to this incredibly cool conversation with Wally Wagner Jr., Welcoming to the show, we have, of course, Wally Wagner. Wally, how are you, brother? I'm doing quite well, Brandon. Thank you for having me. This is outstanding. I've got my coffee here. I've been very excited about this conversation with you. I've spent many hours with you this morning on my own time here, finding out that you and I have a ton of stuff in common that I hope for you to reveal uh, for my audience uh, with your introduction here. So if you don't mind, just let folks know who you are. I'm a country boy from West Virginia, <laughs> um, born and raised in a small coal mining town of Logan, which is about an hour south of Charleston. And yes, I have mined coal before underground. Um, I've had a, a, a very varied background. I've been bank manager to water plant operator to farmer to international sales, phlebotomist, laboratory technician, you know, just a bunch of different things. And I would always get tired of what I was doing and just jump to something else. So it's it's kind of like what we're going to talk about today, Brandon, uh, varied subjects. Um, I'm happily married. Um, we have, uh, well, my wife has one son. I claim him too. <laughs> and uh, we have a house cat by the name of Simon, who we rescued from the shelter. And uh, he's he's the king of the house. I live in Bedford, Virginia now, which is in between Roanoke and Lynchburg. I'm within sight of the Peaks of Otter off of the Blue Ridge Parkway. And um, I am retired now and uh, 
as a result of my sighting back in 2016, I guess you would say I'm an author now. I've written two books and considering a third one. So that that pretty much brings you up to speed. That's outstanding. Well, I just uh, founded a publishing house. So if you want to take a meeting, let's definitely do that before you publish. Uh, I am super, super pumped about this. You and I, like I said, have a a lot in common here. My friend, both raised in the South, Southern boy as well, and both uh, raised Baptist Methodist. And that was a big thing. You know, my mother uh, did a a remarried thing with the stepdad. Awesome dude. He was Methodist. She was Baptist. So there was like this interesting integration with that even process uh, and how silly those two things were. They still to this day actually uh, are in disagreement over pre or post um, tribulation rapture. So Correct. It, it's fascinating to me how that even there, um, which is fundamental, you know. So anyway, it, it is just uh always interesting to come across other folks who have found that there are other answers outside the Bible, and that's something that you find. You find truths outside the Bible, which is definitely something I want to get into with you. So, of course, all of your works and all the ways to find your your incredible website within the grasp.net uh, and your Facebook and your books will all be linked below. You guys know how this works. Make sure that you check him out. My buddy Wally is incredibly cool. So, let's show them just how cool. So, uh, what did religion get right in your mind before we just really launch in here? Very little. (laughs) Overall, perhaps a belief in one supreme being. And um, that's pretty much where I stand with that now. Uh, You know, I drank the Kool-Aid like so many other people. That that may not be a good phrase to use, but uh, I went in hook, line, sinker, rod, and reel (laughs) for for what I was being taught. And I I believed it and I, I lived it. And, uh, you know, being raised, you know, conservative Methodist, I was uh, saved in a Methodist church back in 1973, March of 1973, and then moved to Virginia in 93 and became Southern Baptist, very stout Southern Baptist, and then morphed over back again to Methodist, where I've held about every position inside the Methodist church. And morphed from there into what I am now, basically a spiritual being with no true affiliation with a with a uh, mainstream church. I go to wherever I want, when I want, and it's been quite liberating, I must say. Yeah. Um, did that answer your question? It absolutely did. Now, I'm just curious, was there ever a time right in between super spiritual and where you find yourself now, uh, more comfortable, more grounded, and religion? Was there a time in between there where there was just a shuck of all of it? Was there an interim of, you know, any atheism in there? Well, I wouldn't say atheism. Um, You might say that based upon what I had been taught, but I've always felt that I've never been alone. And I still feel that now. I, I have a connection to a higher being. The question resides on just who or what is that higher being. Uh, when I wrote my first book um, back in around 2020, uh, Crossing the Crevice, at that point in time, I was still accepting the biblical God or the Old Testament God as my God and my father. Since then, uh, Brandon, I have morphed into there is no way that is my God. There's no way that could be considered God. Um, the one what, murdering what all the, the babies? Test- you got it. <laughs> you got it. Tens, well, thousands. And, and, yeah. and this was murder. They were not indoctrinated. 
They weren't they weren't uh, uh, given other land to live on. They weren't imprisoned. They were killed in situ, men, women, and children. And the one time they brought some women back, they were just used as mere, mere chattel to to the uh, Israelites. But the, my God now is is basically the New Testament God, and, and that's based upon what we're taught that He is Spirit light and love those three attributes with love in spades the whole universe now i realize is love and we can't even fathom his love and his is even a misnomer because god has no uh, gender just like you and i don't have a gender we have a body which purports to be a gender but who we are and what we are has no gender and we're just like the father you and i as well as our listeners, are sons and daughters of God. We're all sons and daughters of God. So I'm probably going to rattle a little bit, but seeing my craft back in 2016, the first thing I realized, well, I feel no evil. I've been taught, you know, all these UFOs are from the dark side, and there's been so many books written on them and and whatnot that you don't believe in UFOs, you don't believe in ghosts. And if you do see a UFO, I'm sure they're messengers from the dark side or from the devil. Well, I don't believe that anymore. Uh, no way. These crafts have been with us since before Jesus Christ, since since the starting of this planet. These crafts have been here. And they're not only with us, they've been with cultures around the world. We've made gods because of misunderstood technology. And these people did not fall from the sky. They came, all came in crafts. Whether you lived in India, Tibet, China, Mexico, uh, Peru, uh, uh, Mesopotamia, Israel, Greek, uh, Greece, uh, um, Rome, Italy, you name it. They all came in crafts and we made them gods. And that's exactly what happened with the God of the Israelites. He came in a craft without doubt. How many how many things have opened up to me now that, that didn't before? I mean, I taught Sunday school for years. And and we we had an old saying that, you know, I can guarantee you this is not going to be in the MacArthur Bible because he doesn't touch any of this stuff. It's like so many other people. If it doesn't fit the agenda, the agenda the church has had since its inception, then we just don't cover it. We stick our heads in the sand and pretend it's not there. And UFOs in the Bible and us being visited by crafts and, and the equivalent gods in other countries that, that people had made into gods, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, our, our uh, uh, country made a god to the people on New Guinea. I mean, back during World War II, we, we dropped goods to our soldiers. I mean, close to, uh, you know, the Solomon Islands. And some of these goods were intercepted by the Aborigines people who had no idea what was going on in an outside world. All they knew was, here came this sound in this airplane, what we call an airplane, dropping goods down to them. Cigarettes, chocolate bars, cookies, other goodies. They became, the airplane became a god. 
we went back and they'd actually made an airplane out of sticks and venerated it, and it became a cult. And that, that cult is still in existence today. That's just an example on how we make gods. The same thing happened to Paul when he was on an island. He got bitten by a, a venomous snake. And the people on the island said, because he didn't die, he must be a god. Gods are something we create in our minds. And lots of times it's based upon technology that we simply don't understand. If I would have taken a match and and, and striked it on a box, you know, a thousand years ago, I would be considered a god because I could have fire in my hand. It's, It's things like that that have all opened up to me now. I've gone back and looked all through the Bible. I'm self-taught. I consider myself pretty much a Bible geek, and I'm definitely a Jesus geek. (laughs) I'm a New Testament believer wholeheartedly now and pretty much have just done away with the Old Testament because I I don't connect with it anymore. I see through it. Uh, There were crafts there all along. I mean, whether you're looking at Elijah, Elisha, uh, Ezekiel, uh, even John in Revelation in chapter 4, you see the door open in heaven. That never clicked with me, but it clicks now. That door that opened up in heaven, anything heaven is looking up in the sky, that is in the craft. And he received the words from that craft, just like the shepherds did on the night of Jesus' birth, just like Paul did on the Damascus Road. This voice comes from the sky. It's coming from a craft. And um, it just has blown my mind now. Um, After I wrote my first book, I got to meet with uh, Reverend Michael Carter. I'm sure you probably know him. He's been on Ancient Aliens a lot. Um, He lives not too far from me. He lives in North Carolina. But um, he convinced me that I am on a path. And... This this goes back several years, and sure enough, I am on a path. And when I'm on this path, I have left the gates of Western Christianity. Those gates have hinges, and a lot of people are afraid to step outside. But I have stepped outside and realized that many, many truths rest beyond the Bible and what we've been taught. And, I mean, I... I don't even know where to begin. Uh, the first th- the first thing that's happened was I've learned to meditate. You don't learn to meditate. If you're in Sunday school and church, you learn to pray. And to me, the two are completely opposite. Praying takes what you are and going outside, trying to connect to a higher source. Meditation is taking what's out there and absorbing it into you. And you learn who you are and your place in the universe and what you're doing to help society and help your brothers and sisters. And you you get, or I have gotten all these new um, tidbits of knowledge and wisdom just by learning to meditate. And and I would say that's probably the first thing I, I have realized when I stepped outside those gates. 
And now I'm going to take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating. And you cover so many things. It's so well articulated. Uh, it's sort of the, uh, what you experienced there was sort of the equivalent to a uh, spiritual um, Plato's allegory of the cave. You broke out, you sort of saw things from a new vantage point. And how do you go back into something like that and tell folks? You just don't, right? But there's a hubris you, in that understanding. Yeah. Um, I think it was Oliver Wendell Holmes who said, once the mind has been expanded, it never goes back to its original shape. And then Michael Carter gives a good one that the the uh, finite will never understand the infinite. And those those are two phrases that are going to stick you know, with me the rest of my life. That is so true. I, there's no way I can go back inside the gate and believe this. The, I hate to use the word minutia, but but the agenda that I had been taught is no longer no longer uh, uh, tasteful for me. Um, I accept the brothers and sisters. You know, I don't want to put anybody down. We're each on our own spiritual path. You have to find this stuff out for yourself. And and you know, I'm very very cognizant of the fact that that's where I came from. So, uh, you know, I, I, most of my my friends are still in that realm. Uh, you know, I still live in the Bible Belt and a uh, very conservative area. And, uh, you know, as it stands now, I don't have a church to go to. Nobody believes uh, like I do. And uh, the nearest Universalist Unitarian church is probably 45, maybe an hour away in Roanoke, Virginia. And uh, I haven't made it there yet, but if I went to any church, you know, within an hour's circumference of where I live, that would be probably where I would go. Do you do you want to do that? Is it something you find? I know probably not necessary, but would you like to experience something like that? Well, I, I, I've. Yes, the answer is yes. Let me yeah. let me just say that I'd actually, you know, if I was 30 years younger, would actually consider starting my own church. I mean, mm -hmm. we have over 33,000 flavors of denominations now, each tweak just a little bit different from the other, so they stand out. Some a little more than others, like what you'd mentioned between Baptist and Methodist, 90% of what they believe is the same, but when you get into uh, pre-tribulational rapture, there seems to be, you know, a little bit of a difference. Yeah, and they both claim the Bible as their source for their beliefs. It's got to um, be. You know, I'm going to encourage you, though, here, and I'm feeling the audience uh, backing me on this. There's no time like the now. And what I will say about the 30-year thing is 30 years ago, you weren't the 30-year mentally progressed as you are now. So what's fascinating about this is you actually are at the perfect time right now to do what you're, you'd like to do. And perhaps this could be something iterated in the, the you know third book, perhaps some options and some outsourcing of the putting that out there to kind of just see what comes back. I... I just, um, I'm not going to limit you there, my friend. I'm going to go ahead and say that we're declaring right now that you're just kind of prepping the minds of everyone and the spirits mm. of everybody out there looking for something greater that they don't have to feel like you do right now, isolated on their own. And that really that's the motivation because that's where it's coming from with you. And that's a, that's a beautiful place, man. So I'm in support of this. You now have two members. So let's get, <laughs> let's get cracking. Bless brother. you. Bless you, brother. Let's get cracking. I, mean, I am you, an ancient alien believer. So I want to throw that out there now. Sure. That falls in line with everything else I've pretty much said up, up to this point. But um, it, it, it if if I started a new church, it would be something completely different. It would probably be termed in the area I live in now as a cult. 
and that I would have to accept that, even though I would resist it. That's that's what people would be talking about behind my back. Ah, who cares? You know, because the message is true, and this is what's beautiful about people that talk like that is that the truth always comes out. It stands the test of time with these kind of things. And you have this altruistic vibe. I can feel it in love you already. Love is the truth. You've got it. And love so permeates everything. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about their approach to your idea from the mindset that they were built in you know that's the programming talking that's not the real truth the real truth is the inquisitive nature into it the program is the one that tries to beat you down for it being so attractive and appealing to them on a really really spiritual level that nothing else in this place that's manufactured non-authentic can replace or take the place of so i love this i'm in full support of your idea here <clears throat> and we are in full support of this however we can be a service please let me know so I, I was curious about when you said that you taught Sunday school, did you ever have kids in that 25 year period? Did you ever have children come to you with questions like that? Things that you weren't able to answer that maybe sparked some questions of your own? Well, probably the youngest person that was in my class was 30. So I didn't teach children per se, um, but I've had people with questions because we would get off topic a lot. I would always bring up these questions when I was teaching and everybody would start going to their reference books and whatnot, their concordances and, and the answers, I don't know, 70% of the time were not there because there was no reference for that specific verse. It did not fit the agenda. And, you know, basically the agenda has been one male God only one male God, one life, you got to get it right now. And then when you die, it's an eternity in heaven where God wipes away your tears. That's, that's the start to the finish. You got to be born. You got to be saved again, born again, baptized. You have this one life to live and only one life. You got to get it right and accept Jesus before you die, and then you're in heaven, you know, with God wiping your tears away. That and and that is now so crazy to me that that uh, I mean, l l let me let me count the ways. Look at Dismas. He he was to the right of Jesus, one of the three people that was on Golgotha for that day, that that they were uh, on the crosses. He did not ask to be saved. He was not born again. We get the impression he was just a common criminal. And yet Jesus said he would be in paradise with him that day. He yeah. wasn't baptized. So think about that for a second. Then, then think about Nicodemus. Here's a guy who yearned for Jesus' heart. He had to be born again. What if that born again is literal? Just like who was John the Baptist. Jesus said, I will tell you, if you can accept it, he was Elijah who was to come. That's who John the Baptist was. We have different bodies. We don't realize who we've been before. And we'll be somebody else later. And uh, all this has come into fruition for me now. Uh, when I've been on this path, there's no way that I was just created and I have this one life to live and I got to get it right. 
I have been alive many times before. I mean, I'm falling in lines with with Edgar Casey and a bunch of other people. I mean, I even have a, a birthmark on my thigh that I am convinced was either a bullet or an arrow from a previous life. Too many people have, have been through regressive hypnosis. And right here is a good book, which I resonate with a lot. It's written by Dr. Michael Newton. Um, let's see if I can get that focused in here. Journey of Souls. Yeah. It's a case study of 29, all 29 that he did. They've all had previous lives. They all report in having a God. So when you sometimes think of these Indians or Aborigines people that are seeking a God or sometimes, you know, looking for a God or a spiritual God, we all have gods. And I, this resonates with me so clearly now. It's, you might consider it perhaps as a guardian angel, uh, but but we have gods. We We live eternally. We don't understand that. We can't fathom the eternal part because it's infinite. Um, when we die, we're still alive. And most people, and I'll put some of this in within grasp, my, my latest book, when I interviewed Reverend Barbara DeLong, she had a, I don't want to say a near-death experience, but rather a shared death experience that I would like to share with you and our audience uh, right now. She had this close friend, and they both knew she was going to die because she had cancer. And uh, one night at about three o'clock in the morning, Barbara was asleep in bed and she found herself in this dark tunnel. And lo and behold, in this dark tunnel was her friend. And they looked at each other rather astonishingly. And Barbara said to her, well, I guess you croaked. And the friend said back to her, well, I guess I did. And they're just standing there in this dark tunnel and all of a sudden from a distance comes a dog and this dog comes up to both of them and starts licking them literally licking them in the face and all over and barbara's friend says well this is such and such i forget the dog's name now but one of her previous dogs that she loved so much and uh the friend the friend told barbara well i guess i need to be Going and Barbara said, well, I'm, I'm, I need to stay. I have other things to do here. I'm going to let you go. And she sees some of her relatives in the distance. And then her friend realizes she can move and she takes off, you know, down the tunnel towards her friends. And Barbara wakes up in bed about 15 minutes later, you know, in her apartment, in her own bed. And she is covered in dog slobber. And you know dog slobber. If you have a dog, uh, she is has physical attributes of that experience. And uh, later that morning, uh, uh, the doctor called her and said, you know, your friend passed away. And Barbara said, yes, I know. It was about three o'clock, wasn't it? And he said, yes. How did you know that? And she just said, I was there. <laughs> that is so cool. God, and that is cool. something not everybody experiences the tunnel, but most people do. And you realize that you can move. And some people have done this so many times before they can move fast and they're instantly back in the spirit world with their God and their friends. You see, we all have friends in the spiritual world. They're not necessarily our family. There are other people who are on the same 
Well, I'm going to use the word level because Enoch uses the word levels in heaven. They're on our same level. You, you might sit around at a picnic table and each of you share your experiences. And the cool thing about this is you experience what you have said and what you have done from the recipient standpoint, not from your standpoint, but you are allowed to experience from the recipient standpoint. If you say something with a little hook on the end or say something you really didn't mean just by the in, in, you know inflection of your voice, you'll envision that and realize that for what it is from, from the recipient standpoint. So you will learn everything you've done wrong, but you're not going to be punished for it. It's a learning situation. It's a learning situation. Our God is full of forgiveness. He's full of light. He's full of love. And, and it's a learning experience. And and you will sit down with your friends. None of you have a sex. You're all sexless. You're a spiritual form. But you're intermingling, you're learning each other's strengths and weaknesses before you go back to another life. Now, how do you get to the point like Jesus? This this is so much I've learned, and I know I'm rattling. No, you're but not. in you're the second perfect. part of John, which is so often overlooked, you hear the first part all the time at a funeral. You know, you go to your father's house. If it wasn't so, I'd say there's many mansions in heaven and all that. But the second part of verse 14 says, because I go to the father, I'll tell you this. You, you, meaning you and I will be able to do miracles and works greater than what Jesus Christ did. And that, for me, now really resonates. We know Jesus was not a liar. We know, at least I know, that I know, (laughs) no one that has done works anywhere close to what Jesus has done, let alone surpassing those. So he's either referring to another life later or he's a liar you're going to have to pick one for me it's another life later as we continually develop our soul our purpose here is to learn how to love and to develop our soul those are the two prime purposes the first one is paramount learn how to love your brothers and sisters that is so important and that is what resonates with me so much now. We're all brothers. We're all sisters. We're all on our own spiritual paths. We all have weaknesses. We all have some strengths, but none of us are on the same level as Jesus. We have more lives in front of us with more learning to do. And I have been asked, Brandon, well, how do you know when you're, you know, ready to ascend or ready to be like Jesus? And I will give you my gut answer. It's when you're able to not have any negative emotions or negative thoughts enter your brain, let alone come out of your mouth. And I can't think of anybody who's, you know, in that realm here on earth right now. There may be some, but I can't think of any. So these are some of the things I have learned along the way. 
Yeah, and even that concept is so challenging because even Jesus flipped over the tables with the bankers, you know, even he got a little twisted and even that's like the benchmark, right? So it seems like when inhabiting this body, what this physical experience offers is the range of emotions offered to anyone that inhabits this physical realm, including getting twisted at some dumb bankers and flipping their tables over, right? And, <laughs> and But it's, you know, a point that, you know, is passionately made and passion is part of that and it can be misconstrued as, you know, any number of things and all that subject. But I think it's very interesting, the whole concept. So let me ask you this. Do you think that I, I also love the picture that you painted of I, I just for some reason you gave me this mental picture of going life to life to life, sort of like our death and rebirth is just like a water station in the middle of a marathon. You know, like when you're mm -hmm. taking that quick mm -hmm. breather break, you're like, OK, and I've still got more to go. You know, we're not done. But that leg of the journey, you know, is just a lifetime for us. But there's still so much more to go. And I'm grateful that you brought up uh, Dr. Newton's work. Um, I Journey of Souls is my second book to go through this year, and I loved it. My wife read it last year. She's on um, uh, Destiny of Souls now, and I'm I'm gonna get it right behind the book I've got now. Yeah, I'm on my fifth book for the year. I'm just we're reading like crazy over here. But Journey of Souls was so fascinating to me, and it was so it's very comforting in ways. And and you know, I actually just had a friend um, recently. Uh, choose to go to the other side by himself and that is something after reading that book that just hit me really hard it, it was the disappointment I know he has in himself right now you know that feeling and so that that hit very close to home very very recently uh, and I won't talk about it any more than that but um, what's also fascinating to me is this these alternate ideas and I know that you've come across these I know you've heard of this kind of stuff even the there are two different gods in the Bible which I'm gonna come back to but for now I want to just kind of bring in the idea of this archon soul trap this idea that you know these people who are here to meet you when you die in the tunnel is actually a trap and that you shouldn't go to the light and that actually that's what the reincarnation trap is so there are people who embody this idea and see it as a bad thing now if there are two directions in a tunnel one then would be curious to say and i haven't heard of any near-death experiences say you know so i turned around to see what was down the other side of the tunnel everybody's going to the damn light because it's like a moth to a flame right where they're just drawn to this thing but again could that in your in your mind be a possibility that there's sort of an apprehension of souls here and even this leg of our journey let's say sticking with the many lives you know uh, idea here which i'm a big fan of then that perhaps is part of this journey part of this marathon is to discover that and then just to turn around rather than to keep coming back you have the choice but as, as, as you have said, it's somehow like a cat using a cat box. I know you have cats. It's ingrained in you to want to go towards the light right. because you're in darkness and you and I are creatures of the light. It's, it just seems like in your DNA to want to head towards the light. But I've thought about this a lot. And, and what I'm going to say, it just is what resonates with me. You, you know, in the past, I wasn't sure I believed in ghosts. I do believe in ghosts now. Ghosts are people in their spiritual bodies or spiritual realm who have not gone towards the light. They're stuck in the tunnel. They, they may not realize they can move. They may not want to move. They may feel that they have unfinished business uh, here on Earth or, or need need to finish something with somebody and are just not ready to go, nor do they want to go. And I think that, for me, is, is what constitutes a ghost now. Yes, if you go towards the light, you will uh, 
most likely be reincarnated and and don't let that scare you um there is no time let's get into that right now when you're in the spiritual world there is no time time only exists for us here now on this planet it's a human construct when you're in the spiritual world it may only be i don't know minutes where it could be days years down here or in this world but it, it, there's it's just a huge a huge difference and this we know this to be true uh based upon uh, einstein's theory of relativity the faster you go the slower time becomes and uh i, I put this in in uh within grasp that if you went out so far let's say a parsec out into space at close to the speed of light and you forgot your wallet i got to go back to earth to get it you come back to earth to get it you might be 300 years later here on earth nobody's going to know you that's how this works time time does not exist so when you're in the spiritual world you, you don't i mean you don't worry about time or, or you shouldn't be afraid of having another life. Um, uh, you want to have another life. You need another life. You need more experiences, more stimuli, more learning chances for you and your soul because you want to become more like the Father. You want to become more like Jesus, who is multiple levels above where we are. So, so I'm not afraid to do that. I'm I, I'm I'm sure that I will go towards the light, although there's a part of me that wants to know what's in door number two over here, what's yeah. in door number three over here. Yeah. Um, especially. Well, I'm I'm not sure that evil exists the way we've been taught it exists. I know evil's out there. If you've ever had a chance to read Linda Moulton Howe's two books, um, it, they're wonderful. Um, she mentions that that even some of the entities know that there's an evil presence out there, and they're even afraid of it. But what we've turned to be evil here on, you know, in our little planet, between what we call Satan or the devil and who we called God or Jehovah, um, it's all wrong. I mean, my studies have taught me here in the last, I don't know, maybe three years that, you know, this is going to catch a lot of people off guard, Brandon, but um, I'll just go ahead and say it and then back it up. But it's quite possible that Satan and Yahweh were brothers. Now, this is played out in Job, which is the oldest book in the Bible. It's played out, um, you know, right at the beginning. If if Satan is so bad and anti-God, I mean, why is he even allowed to walk on God's creation? And they're casually talking in Job. And 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 to show you that that you know this this Old Testament God is basically just another entity who has superior intellect and superior technology than we do. He uses Job almost for a bit and look what it cost job 
Now, you're not going to hear this from behind the pulpit. You're probably going to hear the patience of Job or a you know, sermon on, on patience. But look what it cost Job. Oh, but wait a minute. He got double everything he had. He got his children back. No, he didn't. He got 10 other children. He lost his first 10 children. They got killed in a windstorm. So how is that repaying Job when you lose your firstborn and your first 10 children? Did you just replace them with 10 other children? And there you, there you have it. And, and then the material objects, which we're told you need to give, give all those away to even enter into heaven. I mean, from the New Testament, how is that comp, you know, compensating Job for losing his first 10 children? I have a big problem with that. So from there, I have read, and this resonates with me, that that's why this so-called Satan, brother of Yahweh, interfered with Yahweh's garden. Bingo. Get even. Satan lost the bet. I'll show you. And sure enough, that's what happened. And this is played out from a lot of texts that the remaining texts that have come out of Syria that support that this local Canaanite or Levant, the fertile crescent around the uh, Mediterranean, had a god, and that god was named El. El. And El had a bunch of children, 70 in fact, including Yahweh, including uh, Baal, including Satan, including Marduk, including Asherah, and a bunch of others. They each had their own land. This is played out in in uh, Jacob, or in, in Jacob in the second last part of Joshua. You cross a certain boundary, you go from one god to another god. You cross the river, you have to leave your god here, you have to accept a new god there. They had their lands laid out for them. This helps you understand what happened with Elijah calling fire down from heaven and why Yahweh was such a jealous God. Yahweh stayed here. All the other people pretty much left. They had other things to do. This God has 18,000 planets to look after. I mean, th this is what the Jewish faith knows. Um, 18,000. This is just one planet of that 18,000. Yahweh stayed behind, at least for a while, through the time of uh, Elijah and Elisha. He stayed behind, you know, for the, pulling them out of the Red Sea. He wanted his own group of people, and he was very jealous. And uh, he scared them into submission, you know, with lightnings and thunders and, and earthquakes and uh, boils and diseases and you name it. But this Old Testament God flew in a craft. They all flew in crafts. And, and I'm going to ask a question, uh, not only to you, but, but uh, our audience. This is something that I've been asking lately, and I've gotten no answer. You know, you're taught in Sunday school and church that God is omni-everything. He's here now. He's in everything. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. He's in that rock out there in your front yard. He's in the tree. He's in the air. He's everywhere. He's in everything. I'm going to ask this question. 
if God is everywhere all the time, how do you go down? How do you go down when you're already there? And this going down is mentioned some 19 times in the Bible. How do you go down if you're already there? To go down must mean that you're in a defined place with some type of perimeter in order to go down. But this go down it happens 19 times. You go down uh, for the Tower of Babel. You go down for Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it, it, it just resonates with me now that, that this God of the Old Testament was nothing but an extraterrestrial alien. I mean, with, with powers that we did not fathom and we did not understand. And based upon how his or her crafts moved, we might not understand it now. Well, that's, that's a topic, you know, maybe for later, but uh, perhaps we do understand. Do but you, go ahead. Do you think that there is divinity here or that it's all just misappropriated uh, technology? Well, that's a good question. You've thought that one out, haven't you? Just came to me. Do I think there's divinity here? I think there's a connection here. That connection may be what we construe as angels. That connection may be what we construe as the Holy Spirit. But I do not believe that God or Jesus is here now based upon John 14. God is away, and Jesus had to go to the Father. And if you read the Assumption of Moses, which is a book that was left out of the Bible, which is referred to, but uh, indirectly, but left out. I put it in Crossing the Crevice, my first book. You'll see that uh, Jesus's uh, visit to this planet was termed a visitation. And a visitation dictates, you know, just being here a short time and you're on to someplace else or back to your house. Yeah, like a short little stint of divinity yep. and then out, yep. which still yep. could be technology, just like you mentioned the cargo cults earlier, and I'm grateful that you did. Now, I am curious uh, why nobody's told those poor bastards that it's just airplanes and been able to kind of let them know what the truth was after that long a time. Well, are you going to tell, uh, uh, you know, I guess it's the same reason that that nobody can tell me that Jesus isn't the Son of God. That's fair. I mean, there's there's things that's that's programmed in you that uh, you're initially not ready to accept, but if you keep getting stimuli and keep being able to see what you see and understand what you see, maybe maybe those thoughts will change. I know that's what happened, you know, for me. Um, right. These changes didn't happen overnight. I had a catalyst seeing my craft back in 2016, and that slowly started, you know, getting the bar, ball to roll. I started connecting back to Chariots of the Gods, a book I could not put down back in the 70s. And I'm saying, man, he this guy was on. He was just way ahead of his time, but he was dead on. Oh, Von Danigan, uh, it's back there right next to Journey of the Souls, by the way, right up there. I, <laughs> I've, got, I've got it I behind me, this. too. We just, yes, sir. Uh, one more thing before we move on to your, because uh, I absolutely want to talk about your encounter. Um, I'm just curious about your philosophy on this, that let's say even from your own journey here, which I also really wanted to bring up with this as well. 
it seems here that part of our learning, part of the lessons here is to break out of established systems that we that no longer serve us once we get to that level, right? Some people repeat the third grade because they need to, and that's okay. But for some people, for a good people, a good majority rather, it's not um, value dependent, uh, they can move on to the next one and don't need to repeat the same lesson. So you have moved on from the idea of the Old Testament God, absolutely, and I'm, I, I can see why, because they do, and, and again, that is absolutely another conversation that I will absolutely have you back on for. There's a whole other thing I want to talk to you about on that, but sticking here, then there does seem to be this juxtaposition from where you were to where you are now, and it took a few levels of breaking through belief systems to get there, subscribing to, figuring out, and then moving on. So my question is, is do you feel that where you are now is even maybe another stair step into something else, some greater awareness to where perhaps there's no evil at all? And maybe this is all just a facilitation or a simulation or something, but the lessons and awarenesses that you needed to learn going through the ego structures in the way that you did in the way that we all do and breaking through the programs as a means of self-discovery here, which empowers you and propels you onward. Do you feel that there are still more discoveries like that left for you? Or are you pretty happy with where you're at? I have not seen the end of my path yet. That's the first thing I'll say. I'm still learning, discovering, and absorbing uh, as I go. And only only a fool would sit here and say, I've got it all figured out. Come on. <laughs> no I'm... way. Come on. But my mind is so open now that uh, I laugh at nothing. Let's, let's, let's put it that way. Well, I've got something some else, something else I want to touch on real fast, which connects with what you just said. Another book that I had read back in the 80s, written by Gary Zukov called The Seed of the Soul. That resonates with me, too. I don't know whether you have that, but he makes a, a, a very good point. He used to feel sorry for somebody if you were driving along, seeing somebody crawling in the gutter. Now he realizes that's his place in life, and that person probably needs to be experiencing that. And who is he to interfere? God, that's tough to get to, though. It's so damn hard to get to. And even then, you feel like, have you been tricked by some evil in the way that your empathy is being masked by something else, where you're told to deny that which you're drawn to do and compelled to do, which is to help. Now, interestingly, it feels like that empathy that we're drawn to do is our truest self connected at its highest level. But there also seems to be an awareness of us that there, there were actors in a play and that there's a game going on with rules here. And those rules need you know to be abided by. But it goes against this higher connection that we have. That's very strong. This is something I've I've struggled with that with animals, with the elderly, with children, with uh, homeless, with you know, and not even inequality ideologically, just dumb, dumb shit. Wally, you know what I mean? And so I've very much struggled with this. And to, so to get to this point is a very it's very challenging for anybody. Even even when you get to these greater concepts of awareness that we're all one and having a spiritual experience and all that, it's it still hits you, you know? And it, it, this is one of those table flipping over moments for Jesus, right? You still feel it. You still embody the emotions of this place. But it's with the higher wisdom that you offered here with that, that that's where you transcend and transmute. And, and Jesus was half human. Oh God, I mean, yeah, well you have to, and that's the thing though, it, it further proves, uh, not even proves, it further just lends to the idea that this is a fully immersive environment, that you, when you're here, you sign up for the ride. Uh, it's, whenever exactly, you do... exactly. You you are on a stage. Yes. You are being watched all the time, whether you know it or not. You are being watched. Every thought, everything you say, it's almost like being in a closed loop system. 
Yes. It's recorded. Yes. It's going to be played back and shouted from the housetops. I mean, there's no secrets. But the judgment of it happens here. That This is where you and I share this, right? The judgment happens here. And really that this is just a place where that can play out, literally play out in a play. It's just how I am looking at it now, but like I, I you, I think my we probably agree that, that we make our own hell mm -hmm. here oh, yeah. on earth. Yep. I mean, judgment does occur here. Um, you know, it's forgiveness and love in spades when you cross over. Yeah. And I, I can't make enough out of that. Um, unless, unless you really screwed it up. I mean, uh, and even then, murdered. And even then, you're not going to be killed. You, well, you might be pulled off for one-in-one -one training, uh, uh, aside from all your friends in the next world. But but you know we all live eternally because we're spiritual. That that that's something that needs to be ingrained in us all. We live eternally. So what seems like a lifetime, no pun intended, <laughs> while we're in these bodies is really nothing. It's really nothing. I mean, you've been in other bodies before, and who's to say you're going to be in a human body in the next experience? If there's one God of the universe, which I subscribe to this, one spiritual entity, almost like a ball of plasmatic energy, for lack of a better term, that's neither male nor female, that exists in light and, and all kinds of love and in spirit only, then, then we have brothers and sisters throughout the universe. If you look at it that way, uh, uh, if there's only this one entity, this one supreme being, then anything alive has to be, I, I would assume, a brother or sister of us. And 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 uh, that's a hard concept for some people, you know, to understand. Another hard concept is, I know you you and I share that we that we have cats, but I've come to realize my cat has a spirit also. He has a personality and a spirit. Who's to say that he's just multiple levels below you and me? And yeah. you are his God. Cats are a fun one. I don't know. I think that they're the other way around. I think they're babysitting us. Um, cats, <laughs> I've heard, you know, a lot of people say that they're connected to Lyrans, and Lyrans are like these 77th dimensional beings. And who knows mm. how this information's come about, but it's so much fun to think about and talk about. But we always talk about this as well. And um, a question I had for you, uh, was about the Akashic readings, but I had um, a great friend of mine, Rachel Horton White, come on and she read my Akashic readings and we jumped in there and found a bunch of interesting stuff. And so I want to talk to you about that. Um, but sure. in there, she said, you know, you were once a Lyran. You were once um, part of this Lyran lineage. And I'm like, yeah, my cats think I'm super awesome. So I get it. You know, they're connected to me. They're like these beings that look at us like, oh, we're just here babysitting you guys. We're This is like a... Um, a weird assignment for us. This is a joke, you know, this is sort of a punishment, you know. So it is cute uh, to think of them as having little personalities and souls, which I, I do like that and how they're, it seems like, and I've had uh, Tiana Roser on the show and she was talking about the difference between wild animals and sort of this automated system of animal, of life, of background, of, you know, biology, and then pets and things that really become very close and attached to you and that there is sort of a spiritual difference between them. Um, sort of also one could say with humanity that there's sort of a background 
um, sea of ideas going on that are the mass and that it's sort of your job to break out and figure out which humans are real here uh, or <laughs> are inhabited by the real spirits here. And then also, um, you know, how to navigate your way through that. Just an, just an awesome idea. And I love all of it. So, uh, you know, you before we get to your experience here, and I promise we will, uh, you've talked about um, that you have things that are question marks in your mind that you have heard about other people going through hypnotic regression and experiencing. Uh, one, would you be open to do that if you haven't? And two, Akashic records, that's sort of another option with that. They're similar. Have you tried either one of those or would you be open to either one? I'm open to, to either one. Uh, in fact, I want to go into some type of, uh, you know, therapy or hypno whatever to learn my previous lives. But where I'm at now, nobody does that. That's considered taboo. Um I'm going to get you connected with a couple of different people who can let's, facilitate let's talk both after of those. The show. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. I've got it noted. So I am uh, just very interested about your thoughts on that because these Akashic records, and I'm, I'm curious well, to see if you and I were Lyrans on some other planet kicking about, man. You know? I am a firm believer in Edgar Cayce. Uh, studied him a lot. And of course, his uh, center is here in Virginia Beach, maybe three and a half hours from where I live. And... Um, he he did so much and and it's it's like so many other things a lot of it is is unknown to the public uh a lot of it was considered too far out there for the public to understand and it's like unless the new york times says it or the washington post says it you know nobody pays attention to it but it's out there and so much of it is so real and um I'll just say that I would really enjoy uh, some type of a past life, you know, study or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, you're far too Hypnosis. cool. I have far too many resources. You're way too cool. We got to do this. We're, we're setting this up. We'll do that. And so everybody, you can look forward to him coming back on and talking to us about that later on as well. So uh, let's absolutely talk about what you saw in 2016, mm. my friend. Well, I was a mailman at the time. Did I say I'd also been a mailman for eight years? Yes. I mean, so many things. Um, I was nearing retirement. I just made a delivery uh, here in the county, a rural carrier. And I, I was walking back to my Jeep. Something or something told me to stop and look up. And I was standing out in the lady's front yard. And I looked right up over my head. Here was a white, oblong, solid-looking craft, what we now call a tic-tac. And a picture of that is on you know, the cover of both of my books. The sky was as blue as you could imagine. There was no wind, no trains, no cars. I was out in the country. There was no sound whatsoever by this craft. It had no wings, no nacelles, no windows. Nothing to support it being there. At the time, I guessed maybe it was 1,500 to 2,000 feet over my head. I have gone back there multiple times. Maybe now I'm thinking, you know, I don't think it was that far over my head. I'm thinking maybe 500 to 1,000 feet. In any case, the dimension was probably a 5 by 3, maybe 50 feet by 30 feet. 
And that's exactly, seems to be the exact same size of what we've seen on TV, TV now is what's considered Tic Tacs, except this was the year before all that came out. So I had to watch what I, I said. I didn't think too much about it at the time. In fact, my very words were, well, hello there. <laughs> and the craft let me see it for about three seconds. Then bingo, it's gone. And all these questions, of course, start going through your mind. Did you really see it? Was it a blimp? Was it Google taking, you know, a picture of the earth? Was it a weather balloon? You know, did it cloak? Did it take off so fast I couldn't see it? Did it go into another dimension? It, it just around and around in your, in your brain, you know, this goes. I didn't mention it to too many people at the time, just some family members in my Sunday school class. I was teaching Sunday school at the time. And uh, they took it. You know, fairly well, I have to say. They they took it fairly well. And it, it uh, happened at about the time our, our organist saw a craft here in this county, too, that she let the cat out of the bag that she had seen. So, you know, I think we've reached the point where people don't laugh anymore or consider you wacko. Uh, we, we've progressed from the 50s to the day the earth stood still to where we're at now. You might have Star Wars and a lot of the TV stuff, you know, to attribute that to. But, um, you know, it's an, it's okay to talk about now. I'm not considered crazy. Anyway, I pretty much considered that it cloaked, that it was there all the time. Maybe it was a malfunction or that it wanted me to see it or that it needed to become uncloaked to take a picture or to do whatever it's needed to do and then go back to being cloaked again. You know, um, There are those that would say that it wanted me to see it because maybe they knew I would write a book. Maybe it would change me. Maybe I would convince, you know, a thousand people out in society to have more open minds. Maybe they maybe they knew that. I don't know. Maybe they it was some type of telepathy with me. Something did have me stop and look up, which was kind of atypical because you're always in a hurry to get back to the post office to meet the truck or you'll be late and you don't want that to happen. So you're always in a, you know, a hurry. But I stopped and looked up for whatever reason, and it was there. As time went on, uh, the following year, my mom, you know, was diagnosed with stage four cancer and died. So that whole following year was pretty much shot. But after that, uh, the Tic Tac was on TV the, the clippets and, uh, you know, from the Nimitz and all that. So I decided, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to, to delve into this. And I used it as a catalyst. I backed up and went completely through the Bible, started st reading extracurricular stuff. And I have come to realize that virtually everything we've been taught is the same thing that everybody's been taught since the church was created and the church was created on a fallacy, the fallacy being one male God, one lifetime to get it correct, and that you have to uh, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and be baptized and be born again and publicly confess that you've accepted him and all that to get to heaven. And that's not that's not right at all. And I have come to realize that. I mean, 
And now I've realized that what I saw is the same thing that Ezekiel saw. It's the same thing that Paul saw. The same thing that Elijah, Elijah saw. The same thing that John in Revelation saw. It's a craft in heaven. A craft in heaven. Anything up is heaven. And I've realized that these crafts are all throughout the Bible, but they're never covered in Sunday school. They're never covered from behind the pulpit. It does not fit the agenda at all. And I'll tell you what else doesn't fit the agenda. Female gods. Let's talk about El again. This is often overlooked. But Jacob makes an altar to El in uh, in uh, Joshua, or actually it's Genesis 35, I think. He makes an altar to El, and he calls it the house of God. This is after the night he wrestled. He didn't make it to Yahweh. He made it to El, and El stands for the house of God. And all around the Levant, we're talking about you know, Iraq, we're talking about Egypt, we're talking about Syria, Lebanon. Multiple towns and cities have the word El in them. El such and such, or something, a name that ends in dash El. It all comes from this because El controlled that area. El was the chief god. It wasn't Yahweh, it was El. E-L. <clears throat> now, there's another train of thought that says, well, El may be short for Elohim, and that's okay with me. I can accept it either way. Elohim was mentioned over 2,500 times in the Bible, in the original Bible, Hebrew. But it's not mentioned at all now. You know why? Because it's plural, and it's plural meaning both male and female. Asherah was a female god. Asherah was either the wife of El or the consort of Yahweh. Wherever Yahweh went, he had someone with him, a female. Asherah was venerated by the Israelites. Way too many artifacts and statuettes have been found back during the time of Solomon's temple in Rehoboam. To, 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 we know that Asherah was the queen of heaven, and she was vener venerated often by a pole, a stick, or the symbol that we may consider the medical symbol with a snake around it. That's who Asherah was. She was considered a god too. But guess what? It was a one male scenario when the church was constructed. Females were second-class citizens. Their jobs were to cook, to clean, to mend. It was a male society, all-male canonist. You know, male priest, male, male everything. Females didn't even get to vote, what, until the 20s in this country, let alone have female pastors like we have now. But my point in being that this Asherah was a god, but she was taken out of the Bible until we had the NIV. In the King James, Jehovah's mentioned seven times. None of the other Bible translations have the word Jehovah. In fact, the NIV has Asherah mentioned 40 times. 
So we've had this shift. Talk about shifts in society and shifts in beliefs. And the females gaining more power and more of Asherah is now the queen of heaven mentioned some 40 times in the NIV. And many people subscribe to the NIV being a better translation by far than the King James. The King James has been manipulated so many times that it's, uh, you know, you're taught that every word in there is God's word directly from God by the Holy Spirit, each and every word. And you'll see the preacher holding the book up, totally God's word. And that is totally minutia to me now. It's totally man's word. Totally man's word. Nobody went around with Jesus writing down everything he said and questioning him so they had it right. Even if they did write it down, we wouldn't have it now. We only have one extent writing now, possibly a peach of a parchment in the bottom of the Vatican. That's all we have. But this stuff wasn't even discussed and brought to the table until hundreds of years after Christ died. Then you think about playing the little game in grade school where you start something with one chair and wait, wait till it gets 30 chairs later. Who knows what you're going to get? But you have all this tied together, and we're to believe that each and every word is 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 you know from God, and it's not. It's it it it, it fits a pre-planned agenda to bring power to the church, having to go to church, having to find Jesus, having to be saved, having to learn about Jesus, having to learn to be a better Christian. And having this one life only to live and get it right, all is what the church was built on, and it became ultra-powerful. It became the source of power all through the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, right up to the Protestant Reformation. And you know what happens with power? Too much power causes corruption and greed. And that's exactly what caused the Protestant, you know, Reformation to happen was that, you, uh, you know, the Catholic Church had you end up paying for your salvation. And the more money you paid, the longer out <laughs> your forgiveness would extend. You could you could have tomorrow's, you know, sins forgiven now if you just pay a little bit more. And that, that's where we really ended up. And And look at the millions. In some cases, it's millions. Other people say it's tens of thousands. Conflicting information of people that have been killed because they didn't believe the way the church believed. Copernicus, Galileo Galilee, I mean, just on and on. I mean, you must believe what we're teaching you. And it's so wrong. We didn't even know about grace until, you know, 400 years ago. And in fact, now we realize that it's all about grace. And and, and the church wanted to hide all this information, so they had Jerome write the Bible in Latin. You had to be well-educated or very rich to even know Latin, so you just had to accept everything the priest taught you for, for, for 1,600 years of the church. I mean, this whole thing is just built on fallacy, and I can't accept it anymore. I just can't. I love this. You're crushing this, Wally. Absolutely crushing, man. <laughs> I completely agree, dude. And it's so interesting, too, because in your book, uh, Within Grasp, again, guys, all the ways uh, linked it down there, you talk about the uh, the Gospel of Mary. And if anything, the word of Jesus would have been the only damn thing in the book if that's what it was, right? And the book of Thomas is allegedly all just quotes of Jesus, and it's not in there whatsoever. They're like, no, 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 no. That guy's oh, Thomas is much. out there, but I love it. You know, that, that was another early thing the church did, uh, Brandon. They had this thorn in their side, just like Paul had in his heel. 
the Gnostics. What do we do with the Gnostics? Well, guess what? It's quite possible that Jesus had some early training in Gnosticism himself. I picture them all like a super friends, like a Justice League, like him and Buddha and Krishna, and they're all hanging out and just kicking evil ass together, you know, just um, smiting out ignorance. And that's sort of how I see because the, the ways in which any one religion has it isn't broad enough for any of the teachings to encompass. So it seems very limited that he himself was any religious ideology at all when it transcended any of those to be anything. And especially, you know, if he was born Jewish or whatever, I mean, even then, though, it, it was transcended. And even then, then there were a lot of multiple gods, like gods with an S, especially in Genesis. So you have all these convoluted ideas that are wrapped up into a story that really, pull, in my mind, it pulls away from the natural law so much that you're so distracted by your confliction between what it's telling you you must do and what you feel is right in your heart that you don't have time to figure out what the hell's going on here, you know? You say it so eloquently, Brandon, but you're dead on. But this is part back to what we talked about, about your discovery. And I think that this is why things like that exist here is for you to break out of, because that personal empowerment of figuring out against all odds stacked against you, you know, we're talking like you and I, it's my mom and dad, it's my family, you know, it's all the people I grew up with, all those people really bought into this. And even when the pastor, and I'll never forget this, man, sat there and held that book up, just like what you described. And I just get chills thinking about it and sat there and told everyone as a as an expert on this book that it was the only book in existence that could claim that it never contradicted itself not once and i just like i there was something in there that was just like wow that's a that's an impressive claim and i mean i remember being like seven six or seven here in this and just being like it, something didn't sit right but again you know you got all these people around you nodding and agreeing and your mom and dad and everybody just nodding and yes and that's oh, Jesus. the problem they all have blinders on nobody does their homework nobody checks this out for themselves they would rather be led so let me ask you this then do you feel personally responsible to wake people up from that truth y yes you do Yes, I, I feel that that is one of my callings now. So that's why I'm on your podcast. I, I want people to realize that this, I hate to use the word Kool-Aid again, but it seems to fit so well. You know, and we this Kool-Aid you've been drinking is not doing you any good. I think it was Flavor-Aid that Jim Jeffries or uh, Jim Johnson, what was his name? The dude who murdered oh, everybody? The, the fellow in Guyana. Jim Jones. Jones. Jim Jones. Thank you. Jim yeah. Jones used a uh, flavor aid, not Kool-Aid anyway. So it's fine. You can use all the Kool-Aid <laughs> oh, references you'd like. It's all good. You know, but, but you know, it just, I, I don't do it anymore. Uh, that's all I'll say. I just don't do it anymore. My life has become a lot less religious and to use the term a hell of a lot more spiritual. <laughs> I, like I mean, that. I see things differently now. And and um, encompass things differently. Uh, for me now, I know everything's connected. I, that that's a broad statement to make, but some way, somehow, everything's connected. And somehow, some way, everything vibrates. Somehow, some way, everything has a frequency. And time. And I dare say even distance maybe doesn't exist as it certainly doesn't exist the way we understand it.
But distance doesn't exist in the way we understand it either. I'll give you two examples, and we'll go to something else. But in Within Grasp, I interviewed Dr. Paul Smith, who was one of the founding people of Project Stargate. He was in it from you know its inception to its conclusion. And I, I asked the question, you know, if you were to remote view, let's say, a planet like Pluto versus remote viewing something a mile down the street, is there any time lag? The answer is no. You get the impressions from Pluto the same length of time as you do from a mile down the street. Great question, by the way, Wally. And that tells me another thing that we're just realizing in quantum physics now, that if you ring a little particle over here, its cousin, exact same particle over here, rings as well. And over here really doesn't have anything to do with the space from here over to here. And that, that plays out with a tuning fork. And I put that this in my book. You ring a B-flat, for example. You have 15 other tuning forks in your room. Only the B-flat's going to match what you just, you know, vibrated in your hand. They match each other. And that is so cool. You can draw so much from that, that this time and space thing, we've got a lot to learn. <laughs> At least us us regular people. I'm convinced there's some people in our government that have already been exposed to this. That's another topic for another time. We're talking secret government. But, lizard uh, turds. We have a t-shirt for it. You guys check the show notes below for the lizard turds t-shirt that's representative of our governments. Not all lizard people are turds. There's just some that are <laughs> lizard turds and they are running our government probably. So when, oh boy. When, whenever you look at the analogies like you just talked about, how to, how to piss off Albert Einstein, the spooky action at a distance. I love that, by the way. That sort of thing and a phenomenal question because this idea of distance and time is something, like you said, only relative from our perspective, which I also uh, find very interesting as well. Then, you know, one one thing I really wanted to ask you here was how do how do we go into the box of religion hearing that God's everything and that there's nothing separate from God, but hearing in this in the very next sentence or perhaps even linked together in the same sentence with a but you're separate from God and you need to come through me to get it. Like where how does that disconnect happen? It's it's just a belief from the first part of the sentence to the second because they're completely two completely different ideas. We go from this God's everything and then because then you look around and you go, okay, well then Jesus and perhaps Satan were, let's say, brothers. Let's just anthropomorphize them. Even Enlil and Enki, something like this, um, even the Gemini twins. And so there's a lot of references astrotheologically uh, that tie into this as well that could just be, it's just a bunch of stories about constellations, you know? And so even that perspective is fascinating. So whenever you go from this is an idea of anthropomorphization of just things happening in the sky to then tying in the idea of people attempting to describe and story those same constellations along with the beings they saw coming in craft that they couldn't understand from them, then you tie all of that together and you say, okay, well then religion comes in and says, here we are, we have these answers, and here's this box that you play in. And again, when you're in that box, you say, okay, well, I'm separate from everything, but there is a big thing that I can get to later if I'm good enough and play all the right games and you know win all the right, right prizes and things like that. So there's this just interesting idea from that they introduce it to you. It's like they tell you 
but then that you can't have it a little bit. It's sort of, uh, again, to the concept of that everybody just accepts this uh, vernacular of having your cake and eating it too. Like you can't have your cake and eat it too. What the hell are you talking about? Why the hell would you have cake if you weren't intending on eating it? You know what I mean? So there's this idea of this separation right in front of you. And you have, of course, broken out of this. And I think it's fascinating the work that you do, especially with giving people your truth on this, having come from the background you have, having read the text that you have and applied it to so many different ideologies and, and methods of ways of approaching this conversation. So do you find that that astro theology, have you heard of that at all? That just basically the Bible is just a big story about when to plant your crops and um, all that kind of stuff and nothing really divine as it were? I've only heard about it. I really haven't studied it. I do know that basically everything was based upon the stars back then, constellations, right. movements of the stars, and whatnot. Even even the night that uh, Abraham was born, or Abram, people saw stars move. And so these stars have moved a lot in the Bible, <laughs> including the star of Bethlehem. They they're not all stars. Anything that was a light in the sky was considered a star. Um, some of them are crafts. And uh, I've considered what you've said. And, 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 and yes, I'm happy to have a box cutter. So I cut myself out of the box. I can pass out box cutters. Nice. Beautiful. Once you're out of the box, you never want to go back inside the box. It's yeah. freedom in spades, new realities, new truths that supersede what you had been taught before, answers to questions than what you've had before. And sometimes you get the answers before you even realize you have the question to ask. And I found that out several times. But this path that we're on, you realize we're all on a path once you exit this box and you're on your own path you're not on some path someone tells you you have to be on. You're on your own path. You're finding out these realities and these truths for yourself at your own time, at your own speed, in your own way. What resonates with you is not being force-fed some agenda, which is which is basically wrong. I mean, I hate it's wrong. What I have been taught in the past is wrong, and I know that in every ounce of my being. So I am so glad to have all that behind me now. And without being pompous, I just wish I could sit down with every friend I had and have the conversation like you and I are having right now. And I, I think maybe after about five or six hours, I would have them leaving the room, either hating me or scratching their heads saying, you know what? He's really on to something. Maybe I need to look into this. And if I can just get, you know, put a fire behind somebody or under somebody to to go outside a little bit, you're not going to find the answers in a Christian bookstore. All that you're going to find in a Christian bookstore is the same stuff that supports what you've already been taught and what you already think you know. That's all you're going to find there. You need to go out and find books like Journey of Souls, Seed of the Soul, Chariots of the God, books that, that expand your mind, that doesn't reinforce what's already in there. What's in there is a lot of minutia. <laughs> it's wrong. 
and and you've got to you don't have to but but I'm telling you, a whole nother world exists outside this box that you purported that we're in, or a lot of people are in. And it's okay to step outside. Once you step outside, you will realize that Jesus did not come here to destroy. He came here to build up. He didn't tell people, let's all get together and go kill everybody that believes in Buddha. Buddhism was in existence hundreds of years before Christianity and Judaism started. So is Zoroastrianism. So is Hinduism. Hinduism has their own gods. Jesus didn't say, we can't read one word that he spoke ill against any of those gods. And not only that, Jesus never called Yahweh or Jehovah his father. It was always Father or Abba. Now, let that sink in for a few minutes. Father or Abba only. And um, there's there's so much I've connected, uh, you know, in, in the past that uh, one thing is, um, I want to throw this out, uh, the word spirit. Um, I'm probably going to murder this word. I've been accused of murdering it in the past. I'm going to try it again. Ruach, the Hebrew word. Spirit, we often think of, you know, something you can't see. Um, clouds are sometimes crafts, and spirits are sometimes crafts when you're in the Bible. Hebrews only had about 7,000 words when the Hebrew Bible was put together. You compare that to over 170,000 words in the English language, and you can see that multiple words can apply to one word in the Hebrew language. Spirit is one of those words. You have to look at it carefully to see whether it means a craft or an actual ghostly spirit. Many times, such as in Jesus' baptism, it's referring to a craft. How do you see the Spirit of God descend? First of all, God's everywhere all the time, so he doesn't descend. And then he has to be in a craft to descend for the word to come out. This is my son within, you know, all, you know, you know, the routine. It's always from a craft. And and you you see John in, in Revelation. This was skipped over so many times. I feel embarrassed to even talk about it. John is called up into the spirit, not in spirit. Every translation, even the coin Greek, he was called up into the spirit. This is the place where spirit is referring to craft. He was flown around the heavens, and that's how we get to the description of the constellations uh, that's played out later in Revelation. He, he sees all this. So the same thing happens with the word glory. We, we think well, all that is, 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 is the glory of God. Uh, it's his presence, you know. Uh, glory, the Greek word is actually doxa, and the Hebrew word is often hadar, or sometimes kabod. It, it's, it's an unfathomable brilliance, a brilliance so bright you can hardly see it. And, and an example is when the shepherds were out in the field at night, the night Jesus was born, what happens? A light shone down 
around them a focused beam of light like a flashlight hitting the ground in a perfect circle shone down around them. Where did this light emanate? I dare say it emanates from the same place the voice came from. Same thing with Paul. Same thing with Paul on the Damascus Road. And I'll tell you what, we, we often sing uh, Silent Night at Christmas, right? Uh, if you sing all the verses, you'll notice in verse 2 something that you may have skipped over before. It goes, these glories stream from heaven afar. I never knew what that meant until a year ago. Glory stream from the craft. They stream from heaven afar. Think of some of the uh, pictures I put in one of my books with, with the craft up in heaven with the four beams of light coming down around Jesus. Those are glories. It was a glory that came down around the shepherds, a glory that came down around Paul on the Damascus Road, and it was a craft during Jesus' baptism. It was a craft during the Exodus, uh, you know, for the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and the pillars of light and all this and that. It was a craft when Elijah was up on the mountain and thunders and, and God wasn't in the sound and lightnings and all this and that. It was a craft that John went up into. It was a craft that showed up during the transfiguration and the clouds hid it. The clouds often hide the craft. Um, so much of this has come into fruition for me now that I've stepped outside the box to see that it's been there all along. It's just never taught because it, it doesn't fit the agenda. And if you're, you know, if you're force fed all the stuff that's in all the Sunday school books and in all the Christian books you'll you'll get and all the, you know, sermons and homilies that you'll hear, you're never going to get this. You're never going to get it at all. And, and I mean, I, I look at Judges 5, the song of uh, Deborah and Barak. The stars fought from heaven. From their paths, they fought against Sisera. And then later, it says, Curse morose, said the angel of the Lord, utterly curse its inhabitants, because they did not come to help the Lord. When does the Lord need help? Who are these inhabitants of morose? Well, you go to your Christian bookstore, you ask a theologian, oh, that's a, that's a geographical location outside of Israel. Nobody knows where that is. Nobody's ever been able to point, pinpoint where that is. But guess what? The Zohar, the Talmud, certain rabbis know what Moroz is. It's a celestial body. It's a planet with people. Hello? We're not alone. We've never been alone. That's the first thing you got to get across. We're not alone. I mean... And and we've been here. I mean, the universe is full of life. And I'll say this based on a comment you made earlier. Uh, Dr. Barry Downing, who is in within graphs, sorry about that, I almost pulled my headset off, made a comment that I'll chalk up with some others that I'll never forget. He said, this earth that we live on is a terrible testing place. And I really think... You know, he hit the nail on the head with that. This is probably not, you know, a five-star Marriott where you want to spend your, you know, life in this vessel. 
we're here for a reason. Uh, we have challenges to overcome. And that's why Jesus said, those who overcome. How many times did he say, ye who overcome, ye who overcome? I don't think any of us overcome. What we have is the back door called forgiveness. If we, over, if we overcame, we'd be on the next level, perhaps maybe where Jesus is, because you don't need to overcome, because you already overcame. But we need to overcome. So we're still learning how to fight what we call sin, how to fight negativism, how to fight darkness, and, and what we consider to be hell. We, we need to focus on things that are in heaven, the good things, things of the light, things of the spirit, things that are heavenly and kind, goodness. And it all revolves, as I've said at the beginning, it all evolves around love. We're really here, Brandon, to, to learn how to love each other. And for some of us, that is an impossible task. Hmm. I'd say challenging task. I'm. This is the time I won't agree with you. I, I think the impossible well, makes yeah, it so. I, I probably I will, said that. I'm a I'll, I'll optimist. go along with challenging, okay? I'll, I'll, I will absolutely Very challenging. Sh- absolutely share you in challenging. Absolutely. And uh, thank you so much. It, it. I love what you said, man. So beautifully put. This is so in alignment. And, and it's so interesting to find these types of accounts and then really view them through this lens. It's just so interesting because now when you're talking about uh, that passage where they said that you didn't go help God, I'm thinking of the 1867 uh, to 60, 1886, 1887 um, airship sightings. Do you have you ever heard of these where the Sonora Air sure. Club and yeah, and they, you know, we've had sightings and, since we've had sightings all along. It's just if they're not in the Washington Times or on Facebook, they get thrown out. Right. That's why crop and, circles are still a real enigma. Love those. And uh, definitely something I want to ask you. And what what it made me think of was, is that, you know, in those sightings, some of them said that they were inhabited by human beings, that they were just uh, blimps or sort of dirigibles, but made of a technology they did not understand. They had electricity, which at the time was ridiculous. And they would land, you know, just talk to them. Hey, here's what's going on with this. Just some sort of normal thing, which is why whenever things like UFOs or these extreme technologies and stuff, I sort of still kind of hold out hope that there is this breakaway civilization, sort of like the work of Charles A.A. Delshaw, like what we're talking about, that sort of broke out, got its shit together, and then just sort of comes back and looks at us every now and then in a, in a sense. One question I really want to ask you here uh, before I get to my last question here, and you and I could talk forever. I've already got you on the books for uh, another show to come back because we've got to talk about the apocalypse of Adam this idea that the God and Satan and the Bible were inversed, and we're going to talk, well, I'm going to leave it there, and you and I are going to talk about that in another time. But I want to ask you about um, the importance of disclosure to you. So do you think that uh, governments disclosing that UFOs are real, do you think that that's important? I think it's very important. Um, but there's a big problem. And it has to be tackled from many fronts. The big problem is our capitalist society, the second that's mentioned. It would fall apart, go into chaos. And what about religion? It would have to be rewritten instantly. Does it need to happen? Yes. Do we have free energy now? Yes. Is it hidden from us now? Yes, it is because we have a capitalist society. People need to work. They need to earn money. The money earns uh, food. It, it buys stocks in the stock market. It causes our country to flourish. That's the society we live in now. 
it being in a capitalist society, I'll use your words, is very challenging when it comes to disclosure. If you are in a fascist society or a dictatorship, you know, it would be easier to handle. We we've we, we've we've got that in our future. I just don't think we're ready for it yet. I think there's people like you and me that want disclosure, but you better watch out what you want. You may get it. And the timing is is the key. And I don't think that we're ready for it now. I think we're we're inching to get ready for it. And I think we're getting drops of other realities, such as the uh, Tic Tac videos uh, and whatnot. But I just don't think we're quite ready for it yet. There's still too many people in the box. If we could get more people out of the box and the government would realize that we had more people out of the box than was in the box, that would certainly, certainly change the weights on the variables in the equation, maybe so much that they would go ahead and and at least say, okay, they're out there, but we don't know. I mean, we can't even get the response if they're out there from our government. You know, it's just, it's quite, you know, closed lip, and it has been, uh, you know, since Roswell and even before Roswell. I mean, there were crashes before Roswell, uh, you know, Cape Girardeau and others in New Mexico, and you got Aurora. We've had crashes before. It just, it's, it just has to be something that is stuck on the wall before it becomes a continued topic of interest. And we owe Roswell basically to Stan Freeman for him disclosing it and bringing a lot of it to light until we come to realize that it's really true. And uh, I'm also a supporter of, um, now, now his name um, escapes me, the fellow that uh, took Phil Knapp with him out there to see Bob Lazar. That's who I'm yep. trying to say, yeah. that actually knew when he would see a craft and he took Phil Knapp with him and they did and see, did see the craft. And, uh, you know, we owed to Bob to, to inform us about Element 115, which was at the time called Un, Unpenitum, which is now called Moscovium. Uh, get a load of that after Moscow. But but uh, he knew about that long before. So you've got to give him credit regardless of how people try to tear him down. But I'm a strong supporter that we may already be out there. Now, it, was it a breakaway from one of our previous big incarnations, Atlantis, Mu, Lemuria? I don't know. But I think we could be out there within the last hundred years. I think we've already walked on Mars. I think we already have people far out into space. And I'll base that upon multiple things. Some of the stuff our astronauts have said, some of the stuff Ben Rich has said in the past, who used to run Lockheed Skunk Works, that we've already been to the stars. We've already taken E.T. home. There was a mistake in the equation, but we have it figured out now. You mm -hmm. just don't you just don't say those things. Um he he said that roughly about a year before he died. And some of the other things that, that people have said, including some people at Roswell, you know, on their deathbed when they have nothing to lose, it's quite possible we're already out there. And you, you think we just created this space force, that Donald Trump created this space force that, that 
it's nothing but a farce. It, it's writing on the wall. We've already been out there. This is just taking some of the pressure off them to have a front now to say we have a space force. Where do you think all the trillions of dollars have gone in the black budgets? We, I mean, we can't trace it. Totally, the Pentagon is unaccountable and has been. And uh, I really think we're out there and we have been out there. And I actually believe in, uh, you know, the uh, Magic 12 and, and all that, uh, Project Magic. I, I, I know for a fact that our president only has a mid-grade security clearance. Everybody thinks, well, the president knows everything. The president, and especially the one we have now, no, I hate to say that, but only knows what he's told to tell. I mean, there are multiple levels of clearance above the president's. Not only that, there's a whole nother tier of uh, security clearances above the tier that the president is even in. I mean, we're talking cosmic and we're talking mystic and upper levels that, that, that you know, they're way above the president. We do have a secret government. It started back in Truman and Einstein day, Einstein, Eisenhower days. You're not and, wrong. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, Einstein too, yeah. But um you know, and, and Eisenhower made a point of this, you know, when he was leaving the presidency. And I put that in in uh, crossing the crevice. Uh, uh, you know, we have it. And, and they've pulled apart from, you know, the public government now. They have we have our own secret government that's really in power. They will control if and when disclosure happens. They will. It won't be, you know, the senators and, and the representatives. And it, it will be them. And, and uh, in all honesty, it hasn't happened yet. I think they're doing it in our best interest. We may not realize that. But if it came out today, we have free energy. We're not alone. We've never been alone. Multiple gods all came here in ships, which is what you're going to figure out yourself as soon as this happens regardless of what culture you're in, all, all these old gods flew, whether it's Kolkakan or Vishnu or even Solomon could fly. That's seldom mentioned. It's going to change everything. And normally when you'd have a, you know, a gargantuan change like this, people would flock to church and flock to the religion. But the religion's going to be turned upside down, too. So we're going to be in total chaos from a financial standpoint, from a security standpoint, from a religious standpoint, from, you know, a family togetherness standpoint. Everything is going to change for everybody in an instant when that happens. And it's going to be life-changing, Energy is what controls everything right now, whether you're in oil, making cars, steel, gas, oil, I dare say even coal. It's all the energy sector together is the bulk of what keeps the capitalist society going and the countries operating around the world. If instantly you had free energy, no gravity, we conquer gravity. All these other things, a lot of these other things we've talked about, we couldn't handle it. Our capitalist society would fall apart. Banks would shut down. They would have to shut down. They wouldn't have money for people to you know, withdraw from. It would be panic. Panic. Nothing on the stores at Walmart. Nothing on the stores at Foodline or at Kroger's. 
or at Safeway, everything would change. Everything would change in a heartbeat. Churches would falter. Theology, theology, uh, theology would have to change instantly overnight. The Pope would have to come out and say everything he doesn't want to say, that he's hidden all these times, all, all through the centuries. Jesus may have even been married to Mary Madeline. In fact, I believe he was. I think the wedding at Cana was very possibly his own wedding. And that's played out with the way his mother seemed so concerned with the wine. Um, and that, that's why Mary Magdalene was such a thorn in the side to the other disciples, because at the time, women were second-class citizens. But here, Jesus is so close to, to Mary. And there's so much that, 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 that the church is going to have to say, we've had it wrong, and we've had it wrong, and we've hoodooed you, basically. That's the word I'm going to use. It's a West Virginia word, hoodooed you. Uh, since Jerome wrote the Bible 400, 1,600 years ago, that there are male and female gods. There's multiple gods. You don't need to be born again to be saved. You live eternally. You have more than this one life to live. Jesus was technically a hybrid space alien who went to the Father. We all have the same Father, but that Father did not is not the Father of the Hebrews. So, on and on, and, and it's going to change, and it's going to take generations of life on this planet to, to make that change. So you have to take all this into consideration when you make a statement about disclosure. It has to be well thought out, well pre-planned, guaranteed that nobody's going to wake up tomorrow and realize that... Uh, 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 we don't need to, to have coal to make power or, or gas out of the ground to uh, make electric power. And uh, uh, we have free gravity now, so you no longer need uh, you know, to stay on the ground. Uh, we could fly in our own crafts. Uh, it just All this is going to take time to implement and, and put into a capitalist system. And it's all going to be how it comes out, how it's perceived by the public, and how it's given by someone who ultimately is in power. Will they feel comfortable with that person, confident with that person? Does that person know how the public is going to take it? Is there an empathy uh, uh, variable there? It's just so much to consider. I mean, you don't want your savings wiped out. You want to be able to flip your lights on tomorrow just like you did today. You want to be able to have internet tomorrow like you do today. But a lot of this stuff could be called into question. I mean, uh, people may not want to go to work. I mean, you can, if I can't get my money, why go to work? It, it, all this just plays into having the capitalist society, like I mentioned. I, I just don't see it happening anytime soon. Now, we might get some drops both ways, maybe from the religious side, maybe from the government side. But um, 
I'll just let that ride. Yeah, I think the drops are already here and they're they're continuing. And now it's more of a waterfall because if uh, if you even want to chalk this up to an astrological change, um, then we can. But it just seems to be that things are abs. The tide is literally changing here, and I know you feel this too. You you probably have a variety of those friends that you spoke of earlier that were pretty disconnected from the ideas you're talking about. Probably asking you some pretty interesting questions of late. You know, the from some folks that you probably wouldn't have expected that. And it's just interesting how those folks that are asking these kind of questions are usually from the people that you would not have expected. And so what that tells me is that there's just a permeation of this place, of these ideas, of this incessant need to know more and the need to now answer this calling that we've been denying through ego structures such as the religion, your government, your medicine, uh, education, everything that's here for you, uh, again, I think is an option for you to go through the ringer, but then to create something alternative to that in your highest good, which is what you're proposing with your next idea as far as a spiritual uh, concept goes for folks in the future. And I still am your second member here. I want to help you with that in any way I can. I do want to ask you what you think, and this is just going to be speculation, of course. I mean, I, I, we can't prove any of this stuff, but let's just say, what are your thoughts on the extraterrestrials, non-human intelligences, anything like that that come down here play a role or affect us in some way, which seems to be against sort of this non-intervention treaty that they talk about in Star Trek. There seems to be intervention galore. So what do you think, how do you think that they feel about that, that some extraterrestrials come down here and help people cross a Red Sea? Some people, you know, then let the Egyptians do it. Then you could say, okay, well, then some people came in and killed all the babies of the Egyptians. So then the question is, like like you said earlier, uh, I forget what the, who the quote was from, but this is, I, I think it was Sagan that you talked about, uh, that this is a really, what is it, a strange testing ground that you said? A Dr. Barry Downing. Barry Downing, yes, said thank this you. this earth is a terrible testing place. That, yes, it feels like that sometimes for sure. So how do you think that the extraterrestrials feel about this? Do you think that to them it's a game? Do you think that they don't care? Do you think that some came in and perhaps did something against this non-intervention order and the whole time it's just sort of been this game of catch-up to balance everything out? Uh, do you think that we're just pawns in some huge game here? You're asking multiple questions yes, yeah, at, at once. There, there does seem to be almost a Star Trek, uh, uh, you know, prime directive, and and that may have started really back with Truman. I think we signed some kind of agreement for them to be on the sidelines. Let's say <clears throat> the fact of the matter is we've had gods come here all along, and we're still here. Most gods did not come to destroy. Only the jealous god that I'm aware of <laughs> came to destroy. And he destroyed in multiple ways, either directly or had someone else do his bidding for him. And that's all I'm going to say on that front. But all these other gods came to teach. That's the key word, teach, to share their knowledge. And if you look at Jesus from that standpoint, I know I've had people tell me he really, he really came as a healer. Well, yes, he healed. But I know in my future, that will be me too. He really came to teach, 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 teach. Uh, and what he taught was barely grasped by the disciples. We've learned that there's two were two tiers of knowledge. The disciples got the upper tier, everyone else got the lower tier. We know that for sure. 
the, the disciples had the Didache to go by. We, we have the Bible to go by. The disciples were held to a higher standard and were taught things that we were not taught. That's biblical. We have only one instance that we were made aware of, maybe two, that one of the original disciples actually got what Jesus was trying to teach. And that's when Peter actually stepped out of the boat. He did take that first step on the water by himself before he panicked and called out to Jesus. And that's a similar point. Um, uh, I don't see that with the other uh, disciples. You can say, that well, Paul healed someone. Yes. Peter brought someone back from uh, Dorcas back from life. Yes. But, but Jesus's teaching was so elevated. It was Gnostic in a way that, that I'm not sure they ever got it. I'm not sure they ever got it. And what was written down and available it's in it's in the basement of the Vatican. It's not in the book you and I pick up on Sundays to look at. It was all taken out. It's all up here. Up here. What we can do with our minds. That's where it rests. And and that's why another reason I put Paul Smith, Dr. Paul Smith in, in my book to show what we're capable of. Um I'll I'll give you one fast example. He saw what happened. Uh, uh, days in advance. And uh, time doesn't work when you're remote viewing. Uh, you see things in advance. You can see things in the past. You see, can see things as they exist now. But our minds are capable of much, much, much more than what we think they're capable of. We just use a small percentage now. But I use Paul as an example and uh, this this is important for me. Another point I want to get across, being outside the box. When Paul had the Damascus Road experience, we often think he immediately became a disciple. That didn't happen. It wasn't until three years later that he became a disciple. He went to Saudi Arabia for three years immediately after that sighting or, or Damascus Road experience for training. Now, we don't know who trained him. There, you can read that perhaps it was Jesus himself. Perhaps it was another God. Perhaps it was a mystery school. We don't know. What we do know is that Paul came back to be an apostle, and all at once he could look at Elimus and blind him. Well, Paul's a tent maker, a persecutor of Christians. Where did he gain this power? He gained it from those three years of training in Saudi Arabia. Where's our training? It sure as hell ain't in Sunday school and church. We're not learning anything like that. We're learning minutia. The same thing over and over and over. If you're in the Methodist church, you're going to hear the same stuff out of the lectionary once every five years. I've heard the same sermon by three different preachers. It's... And most people don't remember what they were taught two years ago. I guess I've been blessed. I've remembered everything I've been taught, and I'm to the point where I can connect the dots and say, that's wrong, that's wrong. What about this? What about that? Maybe, you know, maybe it just doesn't work for me. That's how you know you're <laughs> a real person. You're not one of these NPCs running around, these uh, fake, uh, fake people. So congratulations, my friend. Not that you needed oh, verification. There you. you go. 
But but we we can do so much more with our brain, and I think that's what Jesus was here to do: was to elevate us, elevate us. And we're not being elevated. We've fallen back to exactly you know what we were. This is the idea of, uh, don't disagree, this is the idea of the second coming, that Jesus said, you know, we'll come again and all of that, but not necessarily I'm going to come again as one body. And this is why this idea of Christ consciousness and perhaps the shift that we're all experiencing right now, like I said, it's where folks are just waking up, just getting it, just getting it on a massive level, where before it would have taken maybe a few lifetimes perhaps to ring that bell the way that it did in, in a matter of months or moments, sometimes a moment. And now all of a sudden there's this, this embodiment of higher understanding and awareness that's unexplainable by scientific measures, if you want to put it that way. So this idea that there's sort of this cosmic awakeness is yeah. what Art Bell used to say. He felt it before cosmic he passed. Awakeness. Yes. That, that there's this cosmic shift happening that, that we are slowly being enlightened and awakened. Yeah, this feels like the second coming. And I've heard people say this, that it's really all of us are embodying this Christ consciousness, which is the second coming is all of us are Jesus, basically. The ones asking this question, the ones here on a mission of service, obviously. I'm not walking on water yet, but you and I, you know, we'll let each other know when we when we can start doing that, okay? I want one uh, final question uh, to ask you here, my friend, and then you and I absolutely are going to set this uh, next conversation up, which I'm also very much looking forward to. What gets you out of bed every day? You know, we if you're here, there's still work to be done in my mind. So what what do you feel is your work and what gets you just planting those beautiful feet on the mm. ground every morning? <laughs> I think about what we've talked about a lot. I take four and five mile walks a day, most of the time by myself. And I focus on these things. I'm never alone. I, I focus on all these things. And I'm thankful for people like you, Brandon, that that have developed these types of formats to allow people like me to come on and 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 share what I have found out since I've been outside the box. So kudos to you, my friend and brother. I think about this stuff all the time. When are we going to be ready? How's it going to happen? What's my next life going to be? I've already screwed this life up. I'm so glad there's forgiveness. I can't wait till I get back to all my friends sitting at that picnic table and we're in our spiritual bodies and I can say how much I screwed up this life and I've got so much more to learn. It's so it's 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 humility. It's uh it's just anyway, I am so glad that my God now is total spirit, total light and total love. I'm not afraid to die. I think about this all the time. I know I've been alive before. I think about my previous lives. I think about some lives I'm going to have in the future. I know now why I have this life for the certain challenges that I was to face in this life. And I have known that now because of my meditation and stepping outside the box. You don't, you don't, dive into that kind of thing when you're in Sunday school or church. But for me now, I know why I was here, why this life was mine, uh, what I was going to face. And I can tell you right now verbatim, and I have failed on just about everything. <laughs> My challenges that were put in front of me, I've made wrong choices. I've offended some people. I have made some bad mistakes. I have done things because of greed. I've done things because of uh, I wanted to build myself up or climb the ladder in society. I have put treasures everywhere but where they needed to be put. I have not been frugal with money. I have not been a good steward. 
I mean, I can go on and on. So I have got so much to learn that I'm sure that in my next life, I will be tackling some of these things from another perspective, another, another way to gain the emotional input into my spirit from, you know, an, another perspective. So it's things like that that I think on. Um, I often sometimes go back that if I saw this craft and it was back in the uh, uh, late 50s or early 60s, I would have been scared. A point that we're making is I was no longer scared. I felt no evil, nor was I scared at all. My my initial thought was what I said, well, well hello there. You know, that's a far cry from when I saw the day the Earth is still. And that, that scared me a little bit in some of the other movies back then. You know, we've come a long way already, as you say, in, in more than drips. And we have communication to thank for that. We have maybe even the bar scene in, in Star Wars to thank for that. And we have Star Trek to thank for that. Um, and we have people like you to thank for that. Uh, we're getting the word out. There is this cosmic awakeness, awakening that is happening. And it supersedes and usurps mainstream religion. And that's what we want to be careful about. You don't want to offend your brothers and sisters. I love them to pieces. They're my best friends. And I'm cognizant of the fact that's where I came from. And if you unload too much of this stuff on someone too fast, you get instant backwash. You know, I've come to learn wisdom comes in very small bits and pieces. And not necessarily when you want them to come and not in the ways you want them to come. But uh, sometimes you can look back and say, oh, yeah, well, that's what that meant. Or, oh, yeah, now I see. And as I mentioned before, sometimes I get answers before I have the questions to attach them for. But going outside the box has been freedom in spades and a whole new brightness of spirituality of a new realism a new frontier a new a new place that i realize that i'm in a new reality let's just call it that a new reality and there's no way i'm going back to what i was absolutely no way it's brother here and going forward only like paul said i'm looking forward going for the race i'm you know i'll use the back for history and maybe some historical things but my eyes are focused forward now. I am not going back. And those are things I think about. That, that's why I get up in the morning now. What can I do to better society? You know, what's my good deed for the day? Um, that, that kind of thing. I, I'm a big believer, not only to love everybody, to learn how to love everybody, to learn everybody's on a, a different spiritual journey, to learn that there's no color, no two people have the same color skin, no two raindrops have hit the earth at the same time, no two people are on the same point on a spiritual path. It's all a matter of degree. Spirit has no color. We're all spiritual beings. When, I think about this a lot, when are people going to wake up and realize that? When? Everybody's your brother. Everybody's your brother. They're going to be alive just like you in the next realm. So we're all in this together, whether we realize it or not. We're all connected. And uh, those are things I think about. 
It's beautiful. Absolutely beautifully put. And to something you said earlier, it hurts my heart to hear the Southern uh, self-deprecation self -deprecation that I also embodied for a very long time. So I am hopefully going to free your mind, at least at least perhaps give you something to ponder on in your heart for a little bit here. And it, it won't take you another time, uh, another lifetime to get this perspective. You will be able to grab it in this one. From my perspective, you screwed nothing up. You failed zero times. You have zero things to look at yourself in judgment and think that you could have or should have done them differently. I think wrong choices and failure are things that are put on us, especially in the South, as sort of this Catholic, um, Catholic sort of embodiment of this um, idea that there's guilt in inherent in choices that we make with the information that we have at the time, which is what brings me to my point. You, sir, made just decisions that you could at the highest level of degree that you could with the awareness that you had at the time. Any of us can now say from our standpoint that we would have made different choices back then. The crux to all of this and why you and I are sitting here, a vibrational match together, is because you air quotes screwed things up and you air quotes made the wrong decision. If you wouldn't have, my friend, you wouldn't be at the vibrational level to sit in this chair across from me at Expanding Reality and speak to this global audience and tell us about mm -hmm. what's in your heart from the experiences that you had. From Preach my on, perspective, Preach on. From, from my perspective, I will offer you this from this so that again you don't have to worry about this in another lifetime you can just cross it off in this one free yourself from that burden my friend if you wouldn't have made any of those decisions no matter how you felt about them at the time we wouldn't be sitting here and you wouldn't be helping people to the level and degree that you are now and so every single damn piece of it was beautiful and i'm grateful you made all of those air quotes wrong decisions i replaced the word failure with data a while back and man it changed my life just the way i look at it same kind of idea, and I don't know, you know, we all probably have feelings about Edison, but one of the most brilliant uh, quotes he's um, credited with is to say that he didn't fail in making a light bulb a thousand times, right? He found a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. All of them were necessary in the actual, then eventual completion of said light bulb. You, my beautiful friend, shining as the beautiful light bulb that you are, needed all of those, all of that data, all of those data points and decisions and roads to be where you are. So take that as you will. That's just how I feel about it. When I hear someone speak of themselves as amazing you as you are in the way that you did, I know that that's the program talking, not you. And so I wanted to offer another perspective on it from my vantage point to just give you a, a little bit of relief and thank you actually for all the failures and wrong decisions you made along the way. Bless you. You should start a church yourself. We're members of the same one. I'm a, I'm a member of yours, dude. We're hanging out. Wally cool. Wagner Jr. and all the ways to find you located down in the show notes, my friend. I cannot thank you enough. You've made a brother here today, and you and I have a lot more to talk about, so I'm looking forward to it. Awesome, cool. I have totally, totally enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Just want to take a moment and thank my brother, Wally Wagner Jr., for coming by and hanging out. Man, we have so much more to talk about, and we will definitely be doing that very soon, and I am grateful for that. So thank you again, Wally. You will be invited back, my friend. All the ways to find him, of course, located down in the show notes. Make sure you check out his two books, Crossing the Crevasse, as well as his more recent Within Grasp. All of it located down below, as well as his withingrasp.net website. All of it in the show notes, guys. While you're down there in those very same show notes, check out all of our resource links. They are there to benefit you. That's why we have partnered with them. So definitely check those out if you feel called. Also, while you are down in those very same show notes, you can find the link titled expandingrealitypodcast.com. And that is our mothership. That is our home. That has gotten a beautiful new paint job and a facelift. So go check that thing out if you 
fancy as well over there guys there's tons of resources you guys can sign up to be an expansive insider and that's a wonderful way to support the show there's all sorts of bonus content associated with that uh, as well you can rent any of the exclusive content that you would like you can sort of just borrow it for a time without the commitment of a full month membership type of a thing there also uh, the handbook we're very proud of this if you guys want to follow along with the show and there's some writing prompts in there. I made this thing. I'm super proud of it. And it was published through our new publishing house that we just founded, Redigital Publishing. A Redigital means ridiculously original. It's super cool poly word, and it's just awesome. So if you guys are interested in anything like that, give me a holler, and we can absolutely facilitate that for y'all as well. All right, guys, to so go out into this incredibly beautiful and mysterious place, whatever the hell this thing is, and y'all pick up a piece of litter. Be nice to everybody that you come across. Go and buy somebody in line around you a coffee or a meal, something like that. Super small goes a massive, massive way in the collective as well, while you're out here traversing our beautiful lands via vehicle, go ahead and get out of the left-hand lane. If you don't mind, you got somebody behind you wanting to pass there. And as well, and of course, and beyond anything else, go out into this incredibly beautiful and mysterious place, whatever the hell this thing is, and y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening, for watching, for engaging, and just being the coolest sons of bitches ever. We'll see you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.